the Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Appreciate you tuning in and joining us on a Thursday. Hopefully a little bit of an escape from uh, what's going on. Uh, Keep things light. Try to keep things fun. Talk about the latest that's going on in sports. Which, to be honest, isn't a heck of a whole lot. But there are a few things we're going to get through today. There are some things that are new. Some of them you just heard about there at the top of the hour. uh, Sports Flash. But we'll get through some of those in a little bit greater detail, like this uh, money distribution from the NCAA to its member institutions, how that is uh, greatly less than what was anticipated. Uh, We're going to be talking about some comments that were made about Jordan Love earlier today on this radio station by national radio host. It's not good. It's different from some of the other audio that we've shared from other national radio hosts. It is not good. It's not positive about Jordan Love. Let's put it that way. Uh, Next hour, two interviews that I'm really excited about. Um, uh, Coach Bodie Reeder, he is the new offensive coordinator at Utah State. He'll be joining us to talk about how this pause is affecting college sports. It was interesting to hear from uh, Frank Miley, the co-defensive coordinator for USU, earlier in the week. And so we've got the other side, the offensive side uh, tonight that we'll be finding out with Coach Bodie Reeder, and just a little bit more about his background, about what brought him to Utah State. And then also a conversation with the state runner-up for 4A basketball, and that's uh, Coach uh, Kirk Hilliard. He'll be joining us talk about the run of his uh, Skyview Bobcats over these last uh, couple of seasons and uh, what are, and his personal thoughts about perhaps one of the best athletes we've seen in a long time here in Cache Valley and Mason Falslip. So that's coming up next hour, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're also going to have a uh, an encore um, presentation, encore replay of an interview that we did a little while ago with Spencer Nelson. We had a great time talking to Spencer, and so we'll share that with you uh, again, uh, it's worth playing again and hear uh, his stories and his memories of Stu Morrow playing in the spectrum and uh, what he's up to now. But, Ajay, one of the bigger the bigger news items of the day is that uh, we know that the NCAA tournament was canceled. Conference tournaments, some of them were canceled. Um, but the big news is about the NCAA tournament was planning on and schools were anticipating uh, there would be this $600 million distribution. Well, it's not even going to be half that. Um, they're going to distribute about $225 million to Division One schools in June. Um, and by the way, that's dispersed, as always, by the way, among all 32 conferences. So you're not, you're not getting a lot for all your work. If you're Clemson... If you're North Carolina, if you're USC, yes, that affects your bottom line, but not nearly the same way that it might affect a school like San Jose, New Mexico State, Utah State. That's a pretty significant blow. Thank goodness the Mountain West Conference was able to have its tournament 
all done. Yeah. They will have all of its sponsorships play out, all of its ticket sales play out before any of these cancellations started to happen. But it was planning on having two teams go into the NCAA tournament, and there was some expectation that they would both teams could have some success and add additional Revenue units, to it, yep. dis- distribution units coming back to the Mountain West. Now that's gone. Yeah, according to CBS Sports, the NCAA will dip into its $50 million of its reserve counts, $50 million, I should say, of its reserve counts. Um, and the organization notes that it's recouped $270 million thanks to its insurance policy. Now, with that, the lack of revenue stands to be a huge hit with it trickling down and, and impacting college athletics. But uh, Ohio State's president, Michael Drake, who, by the way, is also the chair of the Board of Governors, said the NCAA has not been knocked off its heels by the coronavirus impact across college sports. Financially, it would say otherwise. Is that too bold to say? I mean, am I speaking out of turn here? Okay, so in terms of money breakdown, right? 53.6 of the $225 million will be split equally among, again, the 32 conferences and teams therein. That meet athletic and academic centers to play in the men's basketball tournament. Yes, Utah State's one of them, as we've already mentioned. The other near $172 million will be split up based on factors that the NCAA did not reveal publicly. So, for example, will the ACC receive as much or more than Southland of that $172 million? We don't know. Now, and the reason why is because there was no official tournament bracket, which leaves everything to chance. Like, it's just full-on blindfold mode. That right there would either irritate or scare the ACC or the Big Ten or the SEC, to be honest with you, in basketball regard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Big 12 uh, Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said that his conference was expecting about a $24 million distribution. Uh, They only got 10. Uh, He says that the cancellation of the Big 12 basketball tournament prematurely that results in about oh, a $6.6 million loss. Kill him, man. What do you... So their their estimated losses are between 15 and $18 million. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Um, By the way, speaking of the Big 12 commissioner, did you hear today, uh, what was he on? I can't remember what radio show. But he was talking about how they might start the football season without fans. Well, I think that there are conference commissioners and athletic directors around the country. They're trying to f- figure out different things like, okay, what, what are the different scenarios? If, if we get to a point this drags on and if we can get to a point where we can still have practices and still have teams congregate but just not crowds, can we have games? But Or do we have to delay? Do we have to start missing home games and how does that impact us? Yeah, that could be. I know it's just a side topic, but I just I heard that today, and uh, or excuse me, I read it today, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Washington State comes to Utah State on a Thursday night game, and we don't have fans in there. <laughs> uh, Bowlesby said the entire college sports landscape would have to change if the upcoming football season can't be played, and he's right. Football is the driver; it is the money maker. See, I think it's going to be played. They're going to start on time. I am uber confident they're going to start on time. Whether they start with fans or not is really the question for me. 
That may be, especially in the early stages. But I, I'm with you, Ajay. I, while it, the United States now has eclipsed anyone else in the world with number of positive cases, which is really kind of frightening and embarrassing. But I want to know as how long many as negative tests there this, were, though, too. What's that? I want to know how many negative tests were there. Oh, there are tons. But the fact that the United States, even though we've seen this coming now for months, is now like the number one country in positive tests is a little embarrassing. But um, but if you use if you look at what some other countries have gone through, um, by the time we get to the football season, I would expect that those games would happen. The real question is, though, Ajay, how how quickly do students, uh, those student athletes, get back on campus and start conditioning and training and uh, practicing? Because if you if they're not ready, you, all of a sudden you throw them into a season and you haven't been able to condition them properly. You're gonna have injuries besides the sloppy play. You're gonna have some. It could be really detrimental in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And they still haven't even started. I mean, they're going to probably go through spring camp with, or no, they're not even going to have a spring camp. No. Spring ball's it's over. Been blown up. So yeah. now you're going through fall camp without really a whole lot of knowledge, or at least as much knowledge as you would want to, and how, who's going to start. Well, you don't even have them on your stuff. campus to do conditioning with your strength and conditioning guy. Hey, when's media day, by the way, for Mountain West? That's usually end of July. It's it always usually around Pioneer Day. Uh, you think it happens? I would at this point. I would say probably. Yeah, uh, it's going to be close. Let's see. And that's four months away from right yeah, now. Yeah, but we're not exactly. I don't know. It's not as easy as it looks right now. Obviously, it's I yeah. It'd be interesting to see if we have media day, or do they do they lighten up media day a little bit? Maybe well, not. Maybe as, it's more virtual. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Maybe they just have everybody stay at home, and they have those interviews and such, and those press conferences done over virtual way. This could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, anyways, with that, um, I don't know. I'm sick of it. I'm ready to just get back to a normal life. And I know it's not going to happen for a while. I can't wait for it to be back, though. Yeah, well, it is a massive inconvenience, yes. But... We're all going through it together. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, 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 that's that's absolutely right. We're all going through it together. I just miss sports. Like you don't miss it till it's gone, right? No, and uh, it, this does serve as a good reminder. Still practice social distancing. Uh, it's not the same thing as self isolation, but be careful. Don't get too close. If you start to, I was seeing some things, listening to a uh, press conference today from the state epidemiologist. If you start to get a fever, uh, start to to cough, that is when it is most contagious. 
So if you start feeling an inkling of feeling a little ill, even if it's not COVID-19, isolate yourself, quarantine yourself. Hmm. So it's still going to be a bit because of the way this thing like hibernates in your system for a little while. Yeah, we're not even close to being done with this. Okay, well, I don't think we're close to being done with it in my opinion. Hey, by the way, have you seen the um, Utah's all-time best college basketball player bracket update? Oh, no. How's that going today? Uh, it was going good until we had our first loser. Uh, by the way, Danny Ainge, the one seed runs over DeLon Wright, as expected, 296-92. to 92. He moves on to the next round. J.C. Carroll versus something Vrains, and just because of that, you could tell that Carroll was going to win in a route. He does, 309-75. to 75. Andre Miller in the one seed routes Kyle Kuzma to 79-93. Sam Merrill versus Andrew Bogut was a tough one. It was a tricky one. Andrew Bogut was the number one pick in the 2004 draft, same year as uh, um, Alex Smith was in football. Uh, is dominating Australian, came to the country and dominated the Mountain West Conference. He loses to Sam Merrill. Eric, 263-124. to 124. Sam Merrill beats Andrew wow. Bogan. Keith Van Horn over Michael Doliak, his teammate, 282-90. Jimmer Fredette, 272 over Ronnie Price to 116. And Joel Ballenboy falls to Kosick, 253-129. That leaves you with Wayne Estes. Eric, what was the over-under we set? Wayne Estes versus Damian Lillard? 40? Uh, yeah, I think you said 40. Try 109. 248 to 139. Damian Lillard beats Wayne Estes. I told Wait, you. that's still going. It hasn't closed, has it? No. Let's see. So is this the, is this the second round? So this or the is the second round. This is the second round? Yeah. Because the, that started just today. No way. Because it began March 23rd and it ended yesterday afternoon. Now, for the first... that. Initial no, round. No, no that's second events. round voting. Second round voting will begin March 23rd at noon and end on March 25th. Okay, so today's the 26th. But Wayne Estes advanced. You're looking at what the voting totals are for right now in the next round. One. Because it wasn't two, Estes versus Lillard yesterday. It was Estes versus Tom Chambers yesterday in the last couple of days. Okay, well, here's the problem is like this shows the second round. That this is currently the second round. Well, it was Estes versus Tom Chambers. Remember, we were making that. Yeah, but that was two days ago or yesterday. Right, and that that voting closed, and so yes. now it's advanced to the second changed. round. And it says second round voting will begin March. I don't get this. Okay, so third round voting will begin March twenty sixth, and then March twenty seventh. So when does the third round voting be- is, or is this the third round then? Wayne Estes versus Damian Lillard. Yeah, that's the new round. This is the new round. Yes. That began today. Yes. Maybe we're looking at this different, but this makes no sense. See, this is saying it's the second round because it's already announced the first round results. Like Danny Ainge, BYU. Yeah, this is this is the second round. It's saying. I'm not even joking. Look at this. This is messed up. Well, we're in the third round today. 
Uh, well, if we're in the third round, then yeah, we're in the third round. So then Estes lost. The voting is still going on. No, Estes, Estes is there right now. Voting going on today, AJ. No, it's not. Dude. Yes, it second is. Second round voting. Dude, look at the round. That number is look different. Look at the t- second round. Look at the second round. Estes beat Chambers 295 to 219. That was the first he round. He's bolded in black. And that is a final tally. Today, that's the, first round. the numbers are different than that's when I saw. That's the second round. That's the first round, man. Estes versus Chambers was round number one. Ajay, okay, maybe their first round, second round. I don't care what okay, round it is, but what's hear. going on today is still happening. Estes has not been eliminated. Estes versus Lillard is still going on right now, today, still active. You can still vote. So then what was the first round? I, I don't know. That's what I want to know. What was the first round? That's all I'm asking. You're freaking bite my head off. Well, right now, S is going to lose by over 100. Although, I've tried to vote, and I don't know that it's really tallying the vote right. What do you mean? Like, if I try to click on uh, who I want to vote, I just see an enlarged picture of the uh, U-State logo. Really? I'm able to vote. And I don't know that it recorded my vote. I'm able to vote. I'm voting right now. What does it say? It just says Keith Van Horn and Michael Duliak click when to vote. So I vote. Damian Lillard, Wayne Estes. I'm taking Lillard. Vote. For that price. For that. Olin boy. There. Done. Oh, fetch. Yep, it's counting votes, all right. It just counted mine. Oh, now it's 255 to 141, Damian Lillard over Wayne Estes. So now it's 114. J.C. Carroll is just killing brains. And Sam Merrill is well ahead of Bogut, 267 to 129. Yeah, so Estes is going to lose to Lillard. Oh my gosh, man. J.C. Carroll and Danny Ainge in whatever round that's going to be. That? Oh, that's the semifinals. It is. Yeah, it's going to be Danny Ainge versus J.C. Carroll in the semifinals. Eric, give me an over-under on this matchup. Which one? Ainge and Carroll. Sorry, I was trying to get the word out for uh, others to get on there. You need 115 votes quickly. Wow. An over-under on Carroll and Ainge? Yeah. I think it'll be close. I don't think it's going to be close. I think, I think An- Ainge will win. Okay, give me your I over. think Carroll will, will uh, make it close. Okay, you're saying what? Over-under? Ainge by 20. I think it'll be close. I think I'm going to go I'm going to go over Ainge by 40 and a half. As great as Carroll was, Ainge by 40 and a half. Hey, did you see... I, I saw uh, um, something where Coach Gary Anderson... Because we're just talking about college football. We're going to jump all over here. Gary Anderson thinks that the, uh, the college football season should be shortened if players can't start like a mini camp by June 1st, that he only wants conference games played. I've not seen that. I don't see how that's possible. That'd be impossible. 
But I get what he's saying. Like, to have Washington State come to your house <laughs> on a Thursday night game and you have you had to start camp late. That'd if you do. That would be fun to talk to Bodie uh, Reader about that. You might have to ask him about it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, we got to take a step aside. Let's get to some comments that were made about a Utah State football player who's going to the NFL. And uh, some comments were made about him on a national radio show on this station earlier today. We'll play those comments and react and then juxtapose those to another comment that was made about him uh, last month. So stay tuned for that coming up here on the Full Court Press. The Aggies are number one here. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, hope you're being safe, you're social distancing, you're staying healthy. Appreciate you tuning into our radio stations as an escape, as a form of information. Came across some stuff today. It's, uh, national studies that uh, really indicate that folks are turning to radio a lot these days for information, for an escape. So we appreciate that. And we're working hard to provide that information to you and um, give you something else to think about for a little bit. So earlier today, uh, now we've we've heard Colin Coward multiple times on his national radio show here on uh, on Fox Sports Radio, on his nationally syndicated program, praise Jordan Love multiple times. In fact, um, just a month ago, he had some comments to say about Jordan Love. I had a scout tell me. Keep your eye on Jordan Love. Bad mechanics that can be corrected. Didn't have great coaching in college. He said, just don't be shocked if Jordan Love goes way late first round. What do you make of him? Well, I think Jordan Love could go earlier than way late. I mean, Jordan Love, to me, I had him number two behind Tua this summer when I watched. And that's definitely ahead of Burrow and definitely ahead of the other guys. I thought Jordan Love looked terrific. He lost his head coach, his offensive coordinator, both starting wide receivers, his starting tight end, a starting running back, and four of his starting offensive linemen. This year he had 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. It was a disappointing season. The tape was disappointing. The accuracy was disappointing. The the decision-making was disappointing. But I can't forget last year's tape. I know that guy lives in there somewhere. So what you want to do is find out where he is in his headspace and find out whether or not where you, you can get him to that level. And let's remember, he had a lot of things working against him this year. I just I just went through a long laundry list of them. Jordan Love has first-round talent. Yes. My grade on him is more like a six, a high 6-2, which means eventual starter, but it, it comes with some caveats. And I, and I think he's maybe even more of a 6-5 boomer bus player. I really think, and you know, we talk about these numbers, and you can you know, my, I've got a new grading scale that is the same as Daniel Jeremiah's. We're using a pro-style grading sc- scale. A 6.5, Colin, is a boomer bust player. And I think that's what Jordan Love is. He's either going to be a bust and won't work out, or he's going to be an impressive talent that people say, man, I wish we would have taken a chance on. So that was uh, Zierlein? Zierlein? I don't know how to pronounce his line. Yeah, Zierlein. He's an NFL uh, network analyst. He's... Been part of the scouting program for, I think, over 20-plus years, so extremely smart. So so those were his comments <laughs> a month ago. Yep. <laughs> now, Rick Neuheisel, 
former was Washington on, coach. Former Washington coach. He's been a college football analyst for quite a while with Fox. And these were some of his comments when he was on with Dan Patrick this morning. Good morning, Rick. How are you, Dan? How valuable is Joe Burrow if you're the Dolphins? What would you be willing to give up if you're the GM? Well, there's no question that he's worth the price. The question is, how far do you have the distance between Burrow and Tua Tungabailoa? Because if you like uh, both those kids, you can get, I think, Tungabailoa for a much less lesser price then you can get uh, Burrow just by going up to the third spot there and, and getting Detroit's pick. Uh, I know the Redskins are going to try to you know dance around and make people think that they're interested in a quarterback, but I think uh, they're got, they've got to go Chase Young uh, and, and give Dwayne Haskins a chance. Uh, they went and got Kyle Allen from Carolina to, to ease the, the pressure on uh, Haskins, but uh, I, I think the price for – uh, Burrow going to one will be too expensive, and it's too risky for the Bengals, especially with an Ohio kid in Joe Burrow. I think the Bengals have to go with Burrow. I think uh, the action will start in that three and four spot with the Lions picks and the Giants picks. Do you think the Dolphins go up to make sure they get to it? They have to. They won't get anybody uh, at five. I think uh, Herbert and Tua will go at three and four. Really? I think I think you have to go there. You can't risk, unless you're in love with Jordan Love. Uh, no pun intended. Unless that, you're that's too that, high, though, isn't it, Rick? I agree. I agree. I I I don't trust that guy. He threw 17 interceptions in his last year, uh, when he's supposed to be even more mature and more experienced and so forth. So uh, I I think you have to go. I think the the catbird seats are are the Lions and the Giants. Those those are going to be quarterbacks taken at three and four in my mind. That's crazy. Like, again, you have to look at the situation. Of course, Rick Neuheisel is just looking through foggy glasses without looking at the situation last year. And, of course, Rick Neuheisel hasn't done his research, which doesn't surprise me at all. But the fact that Jordan's playing with new receivers, he lost, well, he lost two very key figures in the offensive line, um, you know, a, a new offensive coordinator, a new coaching staff. It, it's all new, and I'm not blaming the coaching staff. Do not think I'm blaming the coach. I'm not. I'm saying with the fact of the situation of what was built around him the first year and then having that nearly dis- like just disappear from you, almost all of it. I mean, yeah, Savon Scarborough, who's supposed to be playing receiver at times, like it just, it's hard. Uh, and so I- I'm, with, I'm with Ziegler. I- 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 uh, not Ziegler, it's me. Zerline? Uh, yeah, Zerline. Um, that I-, I think Jordan's one of the top four picked. I think he's picked before Tua. Tua's got injuries that are really scary for an NFL team to say, you know what, you can take an NFL hit. Jordan doesn't. Uh, Jordan is healthy, and I think that is a big, big positive thing uh, in his favor. Um, he has, doesn't have a severe injury history, but I was also disappointed with some of the, the things that happened this last year. And there were some things the year before, too, where he has significant blind spots. Um, but at the same time, He's even keeled. Um, he'll throw a crazy throw and get picked off and then come right back out and throw another crazy throw and make a great throw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of those interceptions were not his fault. A, a good chunk of them were not his fault. But there was still a significant number that that were. And so, um, or excuse me, that was his fault. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think that Jordan Love is a first-round pick. 
but I think he's later in the round. I don't think he's as early in the round. I think at the end of the day, they also these these uh, NFL teams are going to look at look who did you play with? What was your what was the 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 level of intensity that you had to get through every day? And I think Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, those guys are going to go a lot higher than Jordan. Um because when Jordan went up against tougher competition, he wasn't wasn't nearly as good. Look at if you're going to fixate on the junior tape, look at what he did when he was at Wyoming. Look at what he did when he was at Colorado State. Um and so it was it wasn't nearly as good. Look at what he did against BYU um when they had some better pressure defenses. So uh, I think there's there's I'm not trying to bag on Jordan, but I'm saying just be cautious. Let's not totally get drunk on the Kool-Aid. I think he's going to be a, an NFL player. But um, I think there are some concerns about where he would ultimately end up. And But you know what? You get into a, a, the right system where he backs up somebody and he gets that NFL training. I think he can have a long NFL career. I think he can. I just don't know that he's above guys like Justin Herbert and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. But you know what? Isn't Fair. it amazing we're having this discussion yeah. and this debate? Yeah. A Utah State football player yeah. among some of the best and we're debating if he's above them or not. I mean, that's that's incredible, AJ. Yeah, I'm with you. It's been fun, uh, and it, there's a lot more conversation to come, uh, and and it'll be interesting. I'm sure people will disagree if Jordan's picked higher than Tua. I'm sure there'll be people who disagree if Tua's picked higher than Jordan Love. So we all, all we know is that Joe Burrow's number one. Now, what would be funny if Joe Burrow ended up like going number three? That would be funny. I would love it, but. And so would Colin Coward. But, but you know what? The, yeah, the thing with Jordan Love, too, is he's l- more likely to go to a franchise that is already established. Mm-hmm. These other guys are going to go to franchises that are desperate and they need help, and these young guys are going to be thrown into difficult situations. So it's very likely, as Colin Coward has said multiple times, it is very likely that a guy like Joe or Jordan Love will have a better NFL career than some of these other guys. Oh, I would agree. Absolutely agree. Depending on what's around you, right? Right, because it's not going to be all on his shoulders oh, like it will be for Joe Burrow. No. Yeah, I'm praying for Joe Burrow if he goes to Cincinnati. That's where players go to die. <laughs> Unless they can get out of there like uh, Nick <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good for him, by the way. Chargers are a great team for him. Yeah. All Pray right. Uh, going to step aside. When we come back, uh, an encore interview with Spencer Nelson that we had uh, last month. It was a ton of fun recalling some of his memories being at Utah State. And coming up next hour, Bodie Reeder, the new offensive coordinator for Utah State, and Kirk Hilliard, the coach of the uh, state runners-up, Skyview Bobcats in the 4A basketball uh, championship. So we'll talk to them both coming up next hour. Stay tuned. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. It's been a lot of fun catching up with these former Aggies and uh, former basketball players. What are we calling it, AJ? Our, our interviews with above-average former Aggie basketball players? That's what you wanted to call it? I, I think Aggie Legends is better. You know, I, I remember you telling me we could call it the Aggies who never won an NCAA tournament game. And I thought that was really harsh, All right, especially for our next guest who's been through some heartbreaking stuff. I thought that was a little harsh. So I finally came out with the Aggie Legends series, and I think that sounds better. 
Spencer Nelson you joins know, us. I, and what, what title would you prefer that we call this series when we talk to you? I, I think it would all be true. I mean, uh, for sure, Aggies that never won an NCAA tournament game. I, I had teammates professionally, guys that played in like Carolina and Duke and those guys. They called us the watch team that we would come and collect our watch from the NCAA tournament and go home immediately afterwards. But uh, <laughs> a, 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 above above average Aggies, I would like to think I was, but, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I was an average Aggie, but you can call it whatever you want. Uh, we can just even call it just Aggie basketball players, maybe. You might try to be modest and humble about it, but I don't think there's any way to, to get around how great you were. The fact that you made the Utah State Basketball Hall of Fame, or Utah State Athletics Hall of Fame, uh, obviously one of the uh, great legends of the Utah State Aggie basketball squad. I remember talking to Coach Morrill. He had nothing but great things to say about you. When you think back on your Aggie career, what part stands out to you the most that you cherish still to this day? I think most basketball players will tell you it's, and it's really cliche, but it's the relationships and the memories you have uh, with the guys of what you, you go through each individual season. And each season has a little bit of its own identity and turning points and kind of milestones. And so it, it's, it, it's the relationships and, and the memories with those guys going through those things. And then, like I said, I, I don't remember much. My wife will tell you, I, my memory at times are poor, is pretty poor, but, uh, but there's kind of monumental, at least, you know, parentheses, monumental, pivotal points in each season. And those are the ones I remember. And those are the fun, fun memories to think about. You were part of some pretty special teams at Utah State. Uh, had some great runs. Played under a, a tremendous coach in Stu Morrill. What's fun about what's happening this weekend is these teams are getting back together. Stu Morrill's coming back into town. Uh, what are some of your memories of Stu playing under him uh, maybe some of the things that we didn't all see behind the scenes. You know what? Uh, yeah, I've got a lot of great memories of Stu from the first year. Uh, you know, he <clears throat> Larry was the one that actually recruited me, and then Larry left to Iowa State the summer before my freshman year, and so Stu was the only coach that I knew that I actually played for. And, you know, from from showing up and him starting the program and beating Utah when they were, I think they were ranked sixth that year in the nation, uh, to when I came back from my mission and he had the program rolling. And uh, I, I would say the thing about Stu that made him so great was his attention to detail, uh, whether it be in practice and running plays or how we travel. He he had a very fine-tooth comb that he reviewed everything with, and his attention to detail was awesome. Um, you know, most people, I think, Stu was <laughs> who he was. And so if you listen to him in press conferences, if you went to Aggie luncheons, and he was, he was very – he could be very charismatic. He really could. He told a lot of really good jokes. Um, but then he also was very professional and, and, and kept to himself in some ways, kept certain things private. Um, but but behind the scenes, I think you saw Stu more, uh, and even players. A lot of players probably didn't see this. I remember John Neal used to say, "Oh, my worst nightmare was to get stuck in the elevator with Stu." You know, between just the first and the third floor in the spectrum, because he's like, "I don't know what to say to coach," <laughs> and uh, and I'd say he just talked to him, and he's like, "I could never talk to him," you know, because because he he did have that head coach uh, air about him. But, uh, but I think there were a few of us that, you know, for some reason, you know, connected with him a little bit differently. And, uh, and if we were stuck in the elevator, we'd just joke around with him. And he would joke around with us. I think 
Stu has a great, great sense of humor, and he didn't. He he was fine at poking fun at you, and uh, if you poked fun back, you know he was good with it. So I think his sense of humor, honestly, is one of the greatest things that most people. I think sometimes they saw, but they probably didn't get a full flavor of. Who's the best trash talker on the team? I mean, you guys had some great, great athletes on that squad, and I'm sure there was a lot of talking, especially in practice. You want to know what? We we honestly, there was not a lot of talking when I was there, AJ. We didn't. Stu was probably the biggest trash talker. I remember, and I, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but there was a teammate of mine once who, wasn't going as hard as he should or, or whatever you want to say. And we were running a drill, and uh, and I went baseline on him and dunked it. And uh, I didn't say anything. But Stu, Stu was the one that started talking trash and, uh, and saying, that's exactly what I would do if guy wasn't playing defense, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so, honest, honestly, we didn't talk much. I, I mean, I don't think Stu would have put up with, you know, garbage like that if we would have talked a whole lot and, that just wasn't the way we operated for the most part. Again, we're talking to Spencer Nelson. He's uh, one of the all-time greats at Utah State for many different reasons. And, and Spencer, the, the teams that you were on, uh, they had tremendous runs in the Big West. Some of the battles that you guys had, there were some pretty good teams, maybe underrated teams from uh, what a lot of people realize. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely, when you look at the Mountain West in its heyday, or even the WAC when, you know, Nevada and Louisiana Tech, I mean, you had a number of NBA guys, and that was in the Big West. But I, I think there were some really good teams that, that year that uh, we were ranked nationally. Uh, Pacific was really, really good. And then my senior year, Pacific was still really good. Irvine had some good teams. And then Fullerton, Fullerton usually was the most talented team. And they did have a couple NBA guys. Uh, they had uh, Pop Sow and, uh, and Bobby Brown, who had a great professional career, and then some other guys. But they, they couldn't put it together consistently, obviously. But if you caught them on the wrong night, they could have beat anybody. But there were, there were I mean, like I said, Pacific, uh, those days, Marker, Yango, Dubly. Uh, I mean, three or four guys that wouldn't play professionally in Europe were on that team. Irvine had a couple teams with, uh, with some professionals on it. And so, yeah, they, there were some battles, and it was a lot of fun. Pacific going back and forth with them and, uh, and Irvine. Uh, yeah, it, it was a great league. I know people kind of bag on it in the sense it wasn't as highly rated, and it wasn't. I mean, that's just a matter of fact. But there were some good teams and probably undervalued a little bit. But um, it, for me, it was the perfect storm. It was the right level, uh, and, and it was a great level for Utah State in the sense we were, I think, budget-wise and facilities-wise and everything, we, we were the leaders in that area. And so we had a great opportunity to compete, and, and, and we were able to, to win a whole lot. In that 03-04 team, uh, where you pretty much ran the table, you did lose to Cal State Northridge in, the, in that first game and, and knocked you guys out of the Big West tournament, but we're still nationally ranked. What was the feeling like on that Sunday afternoon, waiting for your name to get called and not seeing it appear on the TV screen to uh, be in the big dance? That's a, that's a great question. You know, I don't want to be dramatic, but it was devastating. It, it was really devastating. Because didn't they have cameras there, right? They had, like, cameras on you guys. And like, is Utah oh, yeah, State going to get in uh, and all this? They had cameras, and, and we didn't know. We were hopeful, but we by no means thought we were in the tournament. But we were we were really hopeful. I remember we lost the game to Northridge. We got back on a plane. Um, I mean, because I think we lost on Friday, if I remember the days right, because it was the quarterfinal game. Um, or maybe it was Thursday then. Anyway, we lose. We come back the next day, and it's just 
it's miserable. It, it's just miserable, and we're all just cautiously hopeful. I watched about three or four minutes of that championship game and was just sick to my stomach. And then Sunday, yeah, we all go to the Spectrum. They have cameras there, and uh, and uh, we're watching it. I remember uh, Richmond got in, and uh, and that really concerned us with an at-large, and then UTEP got in. And we kind of knew when UTEP got in, at least I knew, based on what I'd read, I was like, I don't think we're out. And that was that was near the very end. Um, show got over. All, I, I don't remember anything other than I just walked out. I immediately just left. Walked out. Didn't stick around for interviews or anything like that. I wasn't even, I, I wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything. I, I literally just walked out, got in my car, didn't say a word, drove back to my ha- uh, apartment, uh, went in the bedroom, and, uh, and just sat on the bed for probably about eight hours. Uh, didn't say a word to anyone. Didn't want to say a word to anyone. Uh, I think Coach Ray called me the next morning or, yeah, I think it was the next morning because I don't even think I had a cell phone at the time. Intentionally didn't have a cell phone. I didn't want anyone to be able to contact me. Um, and, uh, and was just like, hey, we got to get ready. We got Hawaii. And so I had my, I had my eight to 12 hours of mourning and then I regrouped mentally and I was like, okay, well, we're in the NIT. Let's try to play in Madison Square Garden because that was always a dream of mine. And so that, that's how I kind of refreshed and revamped, but kind of having gone through it and then especially as a senior, you know, I, it was devastating for me as a junior, but I knew that I had one more chance, one more year. Those seniors, I mean, that would have been really, really hard, really, really hard to kind of swallow having the season that we had being ranked, whatever we were, 19th, 21st in the country at that point. But, but yeah, that was a tough one, man. That was a real tough one. After you left Utah State, uh, you, uh, you had some chances to, to work out with the Utah Jazz. Uh, then eventually you went up and played internationally. And uh, you even have uh, another nationality that's placed on you. <laughs> Explain how that worked. Uh, to work, being able to play for uh, another country. I have Azerbaijan citizenship, and uh, and it, it, it just a random thing, you know. In Europe, each country has its own rules of how many Americans, and so if you're an American and can play, but qualify for citizenship and play as a foreigner, uh, not as an American but as a European, then uh, then you become more valuable. And, uh, at that time I was playing in Greece and, um, and Azerbaijan was really trying to push their national basketball program to try to promote it and try to have some success. And I was connected, uh, through some guys, a, a Serbian guy and some other guys who were helping the Azerbaijan team kind of hired as consultants to find the right players. And, uh, and I ended up having a great game at the right time in front of the right people in Greece. It was a team, it was at the end of the year, I was playing in Peristeri in Athens at the time, and we were playing a team in Colossus Road, or no, that was Tricola, playing against Tricola, and I ended up having a great game that year, and, and the right guy was in the crowd and saw me and came up to me afterwards and said, hey, we'd love you to come play for the national team, and I, sh- I said, sure, uh, after I kind of found out what it entailed, and so there were a couple summers where I went over and uh, and for a month or so, and traveled around Europe and played for their national team to to try to qualify uh, for the European Championships. You kind of have to move up. At no point were they going to be able to qualify for the Olympics, but the goal was to try to 
do well enough in their uh, in their classification to where they could advance and then try to qualify for the European Championships. And so we were playing kind of lower level countries like uh, Albania and Belarus and uh, and those kind of te- and Sweden. I remember playing against Sweden in those kind of uh, countries, but. Really cool experience. Azerbaijan is a great country. Uh, I mean, they have their issues too, but Baku is a beautiful city. And uh, I met a lot of really wonderful people that I actually I still keep in touch with on WhatsApp. I still I, I messaged with one of them the other day. So uh, it, it, was, I, it was a blessing, and it helped my career uh, as well. So it was, it was a fun thing. Again, that was an interview that we did with Spencer Nelson that we so got about fun, halfway Eric. through. Yeah, dude, that was fun. Still a lot of great stuff. If you want to go back and listen to it, just explore our podcast library on 1069thefan.com. You just go to the site and search Spencer Nelson, and you can find it. Uh, those were t- those were a ton of fun. Yeah, that was a blast, Eric. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. All right, going to take a timeout here on the Full Court Press when we come back. Uh, let you know what's coming up next hour. Some great current interviews. Not pre-recorded, not encore presentations, live and in the in person. So we'll have those coming up. We'll tell you who's coming up next hour here on the Full Court Press. It's the Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, thanks for tuning in and joining us here on The Fan, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, streaming online, 1069thefan.com. Great resource for a podcast libraries. Well, you can go back and listen to Frank Miley. We spoke to him earlier this week. Uh, interesting conversation with Ross Peterson about you know, looking back at the uh, history of great athletes in Cache Valley at Utah State. So we, we've... We've still had some good interviews um, uh, that uh, we've been able to, to to gather up and share with you. We're going to have a couple of those coming up next hour. Uh, Bodie Reeder, the new offensive coordinator for Utah State, he'll be joining us, sharing his thoughts about the uh, recent shutdown and about timing of bringing players back and how that might affect the fall season. And uh, a, a coach who has been one of the most successful uh, basketball coaches in the region uh, with what he's been able to do the last couple of years, that's Kirk Hilliard. He'll be joining us next hour as well. And uh, he coached one of the, perhaps one of the, the most talented athletes we've seen in a long time, if nothing else, in uh, Mason Falslip. So we'll get his comments and uh, about what it's like to coach a guy like that. Yeah, it's two really good interviews. One of them, you, you know, you're trying to prep for a future and you don't know what the future looks like. And the other one, you're going to be looking back to the past of what, what should have been. Um, I feel bad for Skyview just based on the fact that they got. I feel like they got hosed. Look, I, I'm not as biased as John Newbold is towards Skyview Bobcat basketball, but when you watch those two games, I don't understand how 14 of 21 fouls can be call, on Skyview can be called by one official. Oh, a lot that just of whistles doesn't make sense to me at all. A lot of whistles on the Skyview Bobcats. Uh, they were able to get through it in the semifinal, but it just caught up to them in the final. So anyway, stick around for those interviews coming up next, uh, and to, to some comments from. Gary Anderson about postponing the football season. And uh, hear from the offensive coordinator what he thinks on that, how that might affect uh, just this delay and how they're still communicating with players and how they're doing recruiting in the midst of all of this. It affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So we'll get his thoughts on that as well. So stick around. It's coming up next hour. I'll continue to update you also on the latest developments with COVID-19. Stay safe. Social distancing. 
We'll be back next hour. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Today was supposed to be opening day for Major League Baseball. All 30 teams were on the schedule. We would have gotten to see Scherzer versus DeGrom, Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. We finally would have gotten to see how the fans were going to treat the Astros in a real game. Instead, the season is indefinitely suspended because of the coronavirus. This is a sport that played its full schedule even during World War II. That gives you an idea of just how the pandemic is affecting sports. Even if baseball isn't the true national pastime anymore, the symbolism of opening day is very important. It signifies hope and optimism. Every team is still alive, hoping to have a special season. Hopefully Major League Baseball will be able to salvage something this year. If not, we'll look forward to next year. Baseball is resilient. So are the American people. This disruption is going to be tough on everyone. But hope and optimism will return. Baseball will return as well. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.